What happens when a heavy metal musician meets Satan? We take a look at a man who will do whatever it takes to save his fellow Americans. And then we travel to Japan to take a look at a bizarre story that happened in the 80s. Two hikers get lost in the mountains. But three hikers are found. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to slide right into this. It's second base. We're running. Dust is, like, flying everywhere. It's all dirty and stuff, and we're just sliding into our first story. It's on second base for some bizarre reason. You can't slide into first, right? I don't know. I don't play sports. First off, I want to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon, Petite Bourgeois. Petite Bourgeois, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You are going to be our navigator, our pilot for this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. I want to take this time to highlight some people who have been doing that. Jim Jam Flim Flam, yep. I saw your comment. I was actually investigating something on that website and uh, saw that you left that. I really, really appreciate it. It's a one in a million that I would stumble across it. But I wanted to appreciate that. Also, I want to give a heads up to some people who've left reviews recently on the show. Kate M. Kate, really, really loved your review. G4757575, thank you so much. Taesu8 and H Sucker, thank you so much for leaving the review. Someone else left a review, but it was just, their name was gibberish, but the review was very nice. So thank you so much. That's another way you guys can support the show. Really, really appreciate that. But Petite Bourgeois. Let's give you those keys to that carpenter copter. You are going to take us up in the air. We are flying above everything else. We are flying out to this dude's hospital. (laughs) We're just going to land on this hospital roof. Other medical helicopters are flying around. They're like, clear the airspace. Get out of our way. We're like, no, we got a story to look at. Now we're walking through the hospital and we see a dude laying on a bed. Oh, And we go up to the doctor. We're wearing, like, doctor clothes. <laughs> Which they wear normal clothes. But we also, now we're wearing lab coats and stuff. And we're walking around. We got stethoscopes. And we're like, nurse, uh, what's wrong with this dude? And the nurse looks at his chart and, and she's like, uh, he's he has COVID-19. He's dying. He's actually in really, really bad shape. So this guy we're looking at, his name is Will Carroll. He's 46 years old. He's a drummer. For the band... Death Angel. It's a thrash metal band. I guess they they were started in the 80s. They're still pretty big in the scene now. They were just on a tour in Europe. And as they're touring Europe, like airports are getting shut down. They're like, come on, Will, hurry up, run, run. He's like running. He has to do a roll underneath the gate. They get on their plane, they leave. They were on tour with two other bands. But some of the members of the bands got the illness. Now, Will Carroll was overweight. Probably wasn't of the best health to begin with. It knocks him out. Like, literally. He goes into a coma. He's on a respirator. Things are not looking good for Will Carroll. But after 12-day coma, he wakes up. He wakes up. And so after he wakes up from his coma, he has this story to tell. He goes, I died. I died, guys. This is what happened to me. I'm laying in my bed, and I'm just like, ugh. And then his soul left his body. His soul is kind of floating around, floating around a bit, and then starts to get pulled into the earth. So 
His soul is being dragged down into the earth. No, and then he meets Satan, who, and first off, the big shocking thing, he's now he's in hell, right? That's that shocking thing number one. Oh no, hell exists, and I'm in it. So that's surprising thing number one. Surprising thing number two, Satan is a woman. So that might not surprise some of you. It would surprise me. It would surprise me. I would assume Satan was like a dude. I would assume Satan... It's funny. I wonder... I would assume Satan is a skinny dude. And I would assume God was an old man. But he's kind of built. Like, he's wearing those robes and stuff like that. But you imagine he's like... Has the body of, like, Logan. Like, he looks old, but then if God ever took off his robes, he'd be hella yoked, right? And then Jesus is probably like a wild, I imagine Jesus is kind of like a Brad Pitt type of body, Fight Club Brad Pitt, where he's like kind of wiry and stuff like that, but you know he could throw down. I'll be honest, I edited out like three minutes of me then <laughs> describing uh, Jesus' workout plan, doesn't matter, it's nothing to do with the story. The point is, is that it's surprising that Satan's a woman, I, it's surprising to me at least. And then, surprising thing number three, Satan punishes Will Carroll by turning him into a, quote, Jabba the Hutt-like creature. Because he was being punished for his sin of sloth. It wasn't like 600-pound life overweight, but he was like 350-pound life overweight. He's a drummer. He just sits there all day long. I'm sure he had really good upper body strength, but anything below the pecs was just like... Bleh. So he turns into Satan turns him into a Jabba the Hutt-like creature. For copyright reasons, Satan can't actually turn him into Jabba the Hutt, because Satan can still get sued. Turns him into a Jabba the Hutt-like creature, and Will just sat there in this monstrous form and began puking. Just began puking up volumes and volumes of blood. Until he died again in hell. And then woke up. <gasps> in a hospital bed back on Earth. Now, that's awesome. Not awesome that he went to hell and got turned into a monster. A, a, a non-copyrighted monster. It's awesome he survived. He actually celebrated his 47th birthday on May 13th. And I love this quote. Quote, I'm still going to listen to satanic metal. And I still love Decide and bands like that. I'm assuming Decide is, is like a satanic or like a dark band, but... Quote, I'm still going to listen to satanic metal, and I still love deciding bands like that. As far as my personal life and my experiences of what I went through, I don't think, <laughs> I love this quote, I don't think Satan's quite as cool as I used to. So before he'd be sitting there smoking a doobie with his friends back in the 80s, dude, I bet you, I bet you Satan's a cool dude, and when we go to hell, he'll be like, hey man, you you guys rock. You guys are way cooler than these demons that have been here for 10 million years. No, you humans are way cooler here. Smoke some of the devil's hash. And then get blazed with the Dark Lord. <laughs> Instead, he went down. Satan's a woman. Turned him into a monster. He threw up blood and died in hell. So I love that quote. I don't think Satan's as cool as I used to. But, interesting story. The man survived. Possible near-death experience. Possible just coma-driven nightmare. Either way, it's terrifying. Either way, it's terrifying. But luckily, he's back alive, and Satan's still down there, and she's like, DRATS! Kind of PO'd this one, got away. I would. I love the idea, though, that Satan will not violate copyright. That Satan's eventually, when Satan does try to destroy Earth, she's, because now it's a woman, she's assembling her army, and we're like, hey, that kind of looks like that guy kind of looks like a Darth Vader. And she's like, no, 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 it's not. It's not Darth Vader. 
it's a Darth Vader-esque armor. And we're like, wait a second, that armor over there kind of looks like Doomsday from Superman Comics. No, 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 no. That is Day of Doom. That's an original character. They're all, all of the demons are recolors of existing demons in pop culture. Satan, we know, now is unimaginative and is very, very cautious of being sued. Petite bourgeois. Let's hop into Jason Jalopy. We are leaving behind the hospital. We're saying goodbye to Will Carroll again. Very, very glad that you made that out alive. We are headed out to Michigan. Bay City, Michigan, to be exact. It's May 17th, 2020. So this story just took place, what, a week ago? Two weeks ago? So we're driving through Bay City, Michigan. Our car drives by a house. Inside is a 70-year-old man named Jesse Theodore McFadden. and He is a man with a plan. Step one, steal an attack attack helicopter from the local Coast Guard station. Now, I'm going to say this. That's an ambitious step one, right? Step one isn't... That that might be the most ambitious step one I've ever seen. Like, step one isn't break into the facility. Step one isn't even go on MapQuest and find out where the facility is. Step one, take a helicopter. Steal a helicopter from a Coast Guard station. I have no idea whether or not this guy can actually fly said copter, but he definitely believes he can. I'm sure he played a lot of Microsoft Flight Simulator 1998. He's ready to go. Step two, fly. Does the Coast Guard even have attack helicopters? I mean, I know they have more than like whirly birds, but I don't think they have like Blackhawks. He's going to steal an attack helicopter from a Coast Guard station. Step two, fly to the local police station. (laughs) Which, again, that's awesome, right? This guy's plan is in results kind of nutty. But right there. You still attack helicopter, and then it's not like lay low for two weeks. He's immediately taking off from the Coast Guard station, flying over to the police station, attacking it with an attack helicopter. And the cops, that's a scenario where the cops would be completely defenseless. Do you guys remember? There was two big stories back in the 90s. We had Killdozer in South Park, Colorado, where the guy had, over the course of months, taken a bulldozer and grafted armor onto it and just started driving through town and knocking houses over. And the cops finally had to, like, run up and, like, shoot into the armor. Like, the bullets were bouncing off. He had, like, little like little eye slits, and they finally had to take him out like that. And then back in the 90s, too, some dude stole a tank from a National Guard National National Guard brigade or barracks or whatever. He's driving the tank through L.A., and it was the same thing. Like, he didn't shoot at anyone. He was just, like, crushing cars. All of this footage is available online. I don't know if the killdozer is, but the, the tank definitely was. They had to run up into the tank, open it up, and, like, they were thinking, do we just throw grenades into it? The guy, a cop, finally got on the tank, opened up the top, and shot into it and killed him. But the police, as much armor as they have nowadays, they don't don't have anti-aircraft weaponry. And their helicopters definitely aren't armed. So if an attack helicopter came flying over a police station, that's not good, right? It's just going to lay into it. Totally awesome explosions. As long as nobody dies, the explosions are awesome. Helicopter will then leave behind the burning wreckage of the police department. There'll be one cop, like, crawling out of the burning wreckage, and he pulls up his radio, and he's like... And then he dies. I couldn't come up, I couldn't come up with anything cool for him to say. He just dies. So anyways, the helicopter now flies away from the burning police station. Now it's going to fly to the local hospital. This is step three. This is really the final step. A helicopter flies to the hospital. But 
This time, the attacks are precision. You see, one of those missiles is going to go... Uh, open the door, because the doors have, like, the little sensor on them. Ding! Flies to the hospital. Flies through the hallway. Past the maternity ward. Stops. Looks at the cute little babies. Aww. Continues to fly. Through the hospital. Crashes right into the power supply of said hospital. Sparks are shooting out and everything. People are running in slow motion from the sparks. So all the power leaves the hospital. Then, helicopter's gonna land... And again, this man is 70 years old. This is a very eventful, this is an eventful, like, two-month-long thing for people of good health. This guy is going to do it in in the morning. It's 10 a.m. to be precise. We're going to get to that. His plan is to do all this stuff, hop out of the helicopter, walk into the hospital. There's going to be, like, because all the power's out now. So he's just going to be able to go and he's going to be able to open all of the doors and all of the COVID-19 people who've been locked up. No, I want to see my family. (coughs) I want to see my families again. Let me out. I'm still (coughs) healthy. He's going to go. His plan was his all of that stuff. All of that stuff was because he believed that the hospitals were imprisoning people with coronavirus. He wanted to let him go. He's like, he's like, run free, my friends. Run free. Return home. Go back to your job at the retirement center. And people are like, as they're coughing through the streets of Michigan. That was his plan. That was his plan. Now, I don't know if he thought that COVID-19 was a hoax. Or if he thought people were, what? You're sick with an illness and they're keeping you prisoner for 14 days? Because you went to the hospital and you want to be treated? Hogwash. People are like, no, no, I really need this. Will Carroll is on a ventilator. And the, and this guy, Jesse, comes in. He's like, you're free. Pulls the ventilator out. And then Will Carroll is permanently a copyright-free monster in hell. He's like, no. His plan was to, fr- quote, unquote, free all the people currently being treated for COVID-19. So you're going, Jason. Okay, some crazy old man. Made up a list. What did he do? Did he post it online? And the cops are involved. And it was like 5150. No, no, no. If this was just a manifesto, it'd be funny, right? At 10 a.m. in the morning, he calls up. Jesse McFadden calls up 911. I don't understand why this was part of his plan. But he calls up 911 and says, step one. And he tells them what he's about to do. He goes, I'm going to go steal a helicopter. I'm going to kill all the cops. I'm going to fly to the hospital. Missile's going to fly around the hallways. Shuts off the power. I don't know why he did that, but the, it definitely put himself on the radar. So you're thinking, maybe he just wanted to commit suicide by cop. Maybe. No, you let me finish. He then drives to the Coast Guard station and tries to hack into the, the control panel. It sounds like a Skrillex song, but it's not. It's him trying to try multiple keypad codes. And you can imagine the Coast Guard like guard standing there like just a couple feet away. Being like, wait, why is this super old man <laughs> trying to hack our system? Old man has like a skateboard. His hat's on backwards. He's like, I saw this in a movie. Saw this in a documentary called Hackers. Why isn't this working? And so then Jesse turns to the Coast Guard guy, who's obviously incredibly puzzled by what he's seen. And Jesse goes, open the gate. The guard's like, no, I'm going to open the gate. You just pulled up in your car. You're trying to hack your way into our system. I'm not letting you in. And then Jesse goes, if you don't let me in, I'm going to ram my car through your gate. And at that point, the Coast Guard guy must have looked at the car, 
looked at the gate and laughed and said, go ahead. This gate, this gate is designed to stop Iraqi tanks from coming through. I am sure your Ford Taurus will knock this down. He does leave, though. He ends up leaving the gate. He doesn't decide to run it down. Cops track him down. Catch him at a gas station. He was inside getting snacks. He was in the gas after trying to take steal an attack helicopter. He's like, ah, oh, you know what I really want? I want some hostess zingers. So while he's inside getting hostess zingers, the cops pull up because now they know what his car looks like. They'd gotten the 911 call earlier and he had a previous arrest for uh, fleeing and eluding the police back in 2011. So they knew what he looked like, but now like they can figure out like what car he was in, what area he was in. He's inside the gas station buying snacks. There's nothing makes you hungrier than trying to destroy a police station and a hospital at the same time. He comes outside the cops, uh, find a Mossberg shotgun, which is the coolest of all shotguns, in his car. And there's a bit of a scuffle with a 70-year-old man again. The cops finally do subdue this ancient Mumra-like character. And he is fine. Really, his what he was charged with was possession, felon in possession of a firearm. Because you can pull up to a Coast Guard gate and go, let me in. And you can punch buttons on their control panel. To, to be fair, if I did that, I might be facing different charges. But when you're 70 years old, they're probably like, oh, you you rascally old coot. But anyway, so that was Jesse McFadden's plan. He could get 45 days in jail and it might be a life sentence for him. Hopefully not. Hopefully he ends up doing whatever. Actually, it's probably longer than 45 days fell in possession of a firearm. He might get charged with terrorist threats, but so far it's just been the firearm charges. Hopefully, maybe this will be, he'll come out of jail and he'll be like, whoa, those 45 days in jail sure helped me stop being an insane old man. Now I'm going to go on and become like, I don't know, just a, a normal dude who does normal dude stuff. And then he'll start going to Michael's and buying like thatched buckets to resell on eBay or some nonsense like that. We can, we can, <laughs> that is lame of a life as that is. That's far better than a man trying to destroy a, <laughs> destroy a hospital to release everyone COVID-19. And Petit Bourgeois, let's take the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to take a long, slow trip from Michigan to Japan. We are headed out to take a look at a truly bizarre story. Found the story on Reddit, so I want to give credit to the person who researched all this stuff, got all these notes together for me. It was a user named Apis Serena. Apis Serena? I don't know. But thank you so much for doing all the legwork on this. Petit Bourgeois, we're bringing our blimp. We're bringing our dead rabbit dirigible nice and low. We're flying over Hokkaido, Japan. It's July 24th, 1989. We're specifically going to a place known as Asahideki Mountain. July 24th, 1989. So apparently this area is immensely beautiful. It's basically a collection of biomes. On one hiking trail, there's like active volcanoes and there's lush forests, beautiful hiking. But it's also, the weather can change very quickly. It's easy to get lost. There's a place where there's two boulders. Well, there's two places with two boulders, right? And if you turn left at the wrong place, the wrong boulder, you're you're basically doomed. So there's like landmarks, but, but it's not really a landmark if there's two different landmarks and they look the same. So you could go up the mountain fine. And I guess there's some like really like steep drop-offs and everything like that. You can go up the mountain just fine, but if you're coming down and the weather's a little misty, it's a little foggy, and you see one of the boulders, you may turn left there. Where the real boulder you're supposed to turn at is, you know, farther away, and you end up in a totally different location. So people, they recommend people doing this hike on the buddy system. It's very, very easy to get lost. 
Which, I mean, I guess then just both of you get lost, which is what happened here. July 24th, 1989, two Mountaineers go missing. And the local search and rescue is like, we got to find these guys, right? That, that is our job. People are like, no, can we just like not find people today? They're like, we're search and rescue, dude. Like, you knew what you signed up for, literally. That's the name of the job. Fine, whatever. This job sucks. So as everyone gets in their rescue helicopters, they're flying around. They're looking for these Mountaineers. They come over like a flat area. They're at the sea. In their helicopter, giant letters. S-O-S. They're, they're, they're letters that mean things. They're not just C-Q-Y. They see S-O-S. It's this giant. It's 16 feet long and 10 feet wide, this saying here. Three logs high. I mean, it's massive undertaking to create this but it allows because you know there's fog and mist you want to make this sign helicopter sees the sos sign and they're like oh okay this is perfect so they radio it in ground crews come helicopter still looking about two to three kilometers which what four to five miles from the sos sign they find the two hikers they've been missing for like a couple days helicopter lands ground crew comes take care of them make sure they don't have any injuries take them home. And they're like, you guys are so lucky because we are looking all over the area. We're about to give up. Our captain does really like doing search and rescues. And this captain's all in the background. He's like, "Mm -mm, I hate him. And he's just shaking his head. But you're lucky that we found that SOS sign. And the two Mountaineers looked at each other and they go, we didn't make an SOS sign. What? No, no, that wasn't us. Like, we were were lost. We're glad that you guys came. Don't drop us back off on the mountain. But We never made the SOS sign. So when the search and rescue drops the dudes back off at home, not at their individual homes, they're like, where do you live? Oh, I live a couple blocks away. Helicopters like flying through the streets. After they drop them off at like a ranger station or whatever, they sit and have a little meeting and they go, okay, so we all saw the SOS sign, right? There wasn't some weird miracle. We should go back up there because there might be someone else there. But the thing was this. If two people didn't make the SOS sign, one person definitely didn't make it. And there's also no one else missing. I mean, it it would have been a huge undertaking. These were birch logs. And if you play Minecraft, just punching a birch tree just to get one block of it, it takes a while. So whoever was up there was able to cut down all of these trees, arrange them in the word of SOS. It would have been quite the undertaking for two people. And there's no one else missing. So who would have made this? But let's just not assume, even though our captain (laughs) hates his job, let's not assume that, oh, trees must have just fallen randomly. So they go back up there. They start doing a ground search around the actual sign that says SOS. There's a skeleton. Just laying there. Now, it's so funny whenever I see stuff about people finding skeletons. Not that I'm amused at the fact that people die and decay. But I always imagine it's like a skeleton from like House on Haunted Hill, where it's like the finger bones, like the whole skeleton's there, right? Just laying there in the dirt. And I don't think that's the case. I wonder what the cutoff is for a skeleton. Like if you find the skull, they'll say they found the skull. If you found the skull and an arm bone, at what point does it become we found a skeleton? Like does it have to be like 60% of the bone? I don't think the rescue team really cares about the distinction. They're not like, hmm, we just found three human skulls, but no skeletons. But I'm wondering if from some sort of 
I wonder how they make the designation of whether or not they report it as a skeleton is found there. Is it like half the body? Is it like one third of the body? But anyways, that's a quibbling, weird comment. They find a skeleton. He's, apparently he was mid-xylophone playing with his ribs when they found him. Now, that's bizarre. Because they definitely don't have anyone missing at all. No, no one no one left the hike. No skeletons were like, see you later, I'm going to go hiking. So now they go, wait a second, we have someone who's we, not recently missing, but this is a skeleton. So whoever it was probably died a while ago. They could tell like some of it had been eaten. Some of the bones had been like gnawed on by animals. They find a tape recorder, and I can play you some of it for you. I mean, it's in Japanese, so you re- won't really know what it is, but I'm going to play a bit of this audio recording here, and then I'll tell you what it says. So what it's saying is, I can't move from atop this cliff. There's different translations of this, obviously. I've seen a couple different translations, but this is the one we're going to go with. I can't move from atop this cliff. SOS, please help. I am near where the helicopter was originally, and I can't move further due to the bamboo brush being in the way. Please get me out of here. And eventually a journalist looking into this, the rescue team didn't even find this, they found a driver's license of a Kenji Iwamura, a 22-year-old man. So this is who the authorities now believe this skeleton belongs to, is Kenji. Kenji went missing July 10th. So the first people they went missing on July 24th, 1989. Kenji went missing on July 10th, 1984. So he had been missing for five years and no one had ever found him. Now there's a lot of really creepy elements to this, which makes it possibly less of a missing person in the mountain scenario and something a little darker. But let's take a look at some of this stuff. The theory is, is that he recorded his voice on tape and was playing it in a loop. The tape itself, he's talking very loudly. And it's actually not a bad survival technique because you can only yell so much, right? But if you record yourself yelling, you can play it over and over again. Hopefully someone hiking by or walking by will hear you yelling. You could yell all night long. So they think that's what was going on. He's yelling into the tape and then playing the tape backwards. And then he's playing the tape loudly. But let's look at some of these bizarre things going on here. One... I'm near where the helicopter was originally. What helicopter is he referring to? Because obviously not the helicopter from 1989, right? So helicopter must have been searching for him back in the day. He had gone missing. It's not to say that no one ever goes missing on this mountain. People do go missing and sometimes you never find them. But he must have seen a helicopter back in 1984. And he was trying to signal, come back to that area where you saw the helicopter. But look at these questions. How did nobody see this sign in five years? This giant SOS sign. Not a single helicopter or hiker passed by this area. How long was he lost for? I don't, I don't 
think he was lost for five years. He's like, what? My mom said if I get lost, just sit in one location and they'll find me. And then four and a half years later, he's like, oh, I better I better build a sign. But no one saw this sign at all for that period of time. There's suspicion about his legs being broken, that they found breaks in the bones of his legs. But the question is, did they get broken before he died? That's kind of the going theory, that his legs were broken before he died, and that's why he was stuck there. But how do you build a giant SOS sign with two broken legs? Did he break his legs building the sign? Was he like, ah, hope it lasts. Now I'm going to balance on these logs. Or as he's putting up the last log, he's like, uh-oh, this one's extra slippery. Ah! Like, or did they get broken after he died? Was there a crazy bear who was just, like, snapping stuff? They spent, back in July 10th, 1984, they spent a whole week looking for him and did not see this giant sign. What's weird is this is one of those stories that I, I, it feels like there's a paranormal answer for it, but I can't even put it into words. Like, alternate reality? Because he definitely existed in our reality. But how do you search for a guy for a week, don't see a giant sign? How is it for five years the sign is never seen? Is it possible that he's from our reality? He shifted into reality where he builds the sign. And then the him and the whole sign is shifts back in our reality years later. None of it really makes sense. Did he break his legs before, during, or after he made the sign? Like, it's an area you can get lost in, but it's not, again, a area you can get lost in for five years. And you figure if he has the tools to chop down birch trees and build this sign, but he doesn't have any tools to catch animals. And if you're saying, well, he broke his legs, he can't get out of the valley, he can't catch the animals, then how did he build the sign? So as weird as the answer is, is of him going to an alternate reality, when we look for him for a week, we don't find him at all. But then when he returns to our reality, he could have honestly returned to our reality back in 1989, shortly before the other two hikers went missing. Maybe, actually, now that I think about it, maybe he didn't build the sign. Maybe he died, because in the recording, he doesn't mention the sign, right? Maybe he died, and a ghost built the sign. I don't know. I don't, I don't, that sounds even more far-fetched. Bunch of ghosts, like, cutting down trees. It's just a, it's one of those weird, mysterious stories, and it's super obscure, I hear over and over and over again about the lead mask case of the two dudes who went up on the hill and they put on the lead masks and they took the pill. You're supposed to wait there for the UFO and they died. I You hear about that case all the time. And there's probably some weird explanation for that. And there's probably some, I always thought it was a cult thing. I always thought it was some weird cult activity. But that's all well and good. This story is so obscure and it doesn't have any reasonable answer at all. Which makes it even more creepy. Because if we can go, oh, he was walking through the woods, he got lost, he got attacked by a jaguar. That sucks. It's not a good ending to the story. But when people just disappear and then reappear next to giant monuments made of wood and desperation, that's chilling. Because while this is a world away on a misty mountain in the middle of Japan, that doesn't mean it can't happen to any one of us walking down the street. People disappear all the time. 
But when they reappear in bizarre ways, it's even creepier. Because to me, it means that things can go back and forth. And if a human can disappear into a bizarre reality, what's to stop something from that bizarre reality from coming here? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>